in today's show. We're looking at the Indiana Pacers, their 22-23 season. What happened? Why did it happen? What it means moving forward? Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble on TikTok at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Download the GameTime app, create an account and use the code LockedOnNBA for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen. Every day we are free and we are available on all platforms. All right, we are here to um, here to talk about the Indiana Pacers. Um, here to have a look at their season as we uh, as we move into the, the off season and, and talk about what went right, what went wrong. You already know what we're going to do, so I don't know why I'm explaining it again. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> good uh, good advice, Warney. All right, so they were 35 and 47, a team that we thought, oh yeah, well, where's this team going? I think they're going to be pretty bad. Are they going to be a tank team? All those rumors swirling. Hey, Miles Turner's getting traded. They're going to move off Buddy Heald to Lakers first. None of that happened. And they were quite good to start the season. And then they packed it in at the end. Ended up with those sixth best lottery odds. And I think a lot of it, there are other factors. A lot of it is one man. It's Tyrese Halliburton. He was the guy that kept him afloat. He went out. They were bad. I think it's as simple as that. They sat him down. They were bad again. They got into a good position. I think they are much like when we talked Orlando Magic yesterday. The Pacers, depending on what happens in this lottery, are, I think, absolutely primed to push for the plane or maybe even the playoffs next season. I think there is a chance of that. I think they will push up pretty significantly as we head into next season. 35 and 47, they were. Again, that is largely because of a lot of those late season losses. A lot of it was driven by Halliburton. Um, negative 4.1 net rating, which was 26. They just got smacked towards the end as well. We dropped that down. 21st in offense, 26th in defense. That's a little concerning how bad they are on both sides of the ball. Offense, obviously, better than defense. But there are yeah, their depth is pretty bad, and there are some clear issues with size on this team and a, and a lack of forwards. Their best lineup was staggering for me to see this. Again, when I do the best lineup, it's players who remain on the team at the end of the season and who have played over 100 possessions together. All this data comes from cleaning the glass. And this lineup, which you know was the lineup that some might say they should have used a lot or a lot more, it's Tyrese Halliburton, of course. It's Benedict Matherin in place of starter Andrew Nempard. It's Buddy Heald. It's Aaron Neesmith, who started a ton at the four. And it's Miles Turner. They were a plus 48.1. Now, obviously, that is small sample size, but it's still over 100 possessions that they were able to do that. The fact that they only played with that lineup 100 possessions is a little bit concerning, and they went to so much of Nempard in that group. They were forced to go so... Look, Neesmith's a shooting guard, let's be fair, and they played him at power forward so much of the season because their power forward sucked. But the fact that this lineup, which you would consider had at least four of their best players or four of their most important players in Halliburton, Heald, Matherin, and Turner. You can debate 
Heald's importance to the future, whatever. He is definitely one of their best players. Matherin's one of their most important players moving forward. And then there's Halliburton and Turner. And then Neesmith's in there. Like, we're getting 835 minutes of the Nempard, Halliburton, Heald, Neesmith, Turner lineup. And that was a plus 3.8. Pretty strong. Yeah, pretty strong. But 112 minutes of this lineup is yeah, a little, I wouldn't say worrying necessarily. But the fact that they didn't play huge amounts of minutes, and we got more minutes with guys like Nwora and Neesmith together, and more minutes of lineups with Jalen Smith and Heald and Neesmith versus something that I think we should have seen, like how does Heald, Matherin, Halliburton, and Turner fit together? Is that deliberate in terms of being worse? Because that data is it's striking. Yes, it is 112 possessions, but it is striking. Their offensive rating was 162.5. What? 162.5. Yes, defense was 114, but that's still actually better than their overall defense for the season. So that makes me, and that's again tying into what I was saying. Hey, can they push to the plane and playoffs? There is, again, low samples, low minutes, so sample size. Neesmith's not. Thanks, Siri, but I didn't actually ask um, that Neesmith isn't you know, an answer there at Power Forward, but that's really successful. And it should inform some of what we think about this team, I think. In terms of free agency, $28 million of cap space coming up. It's not much to talk about here. There's George Hill, James Johnson, O'Shea Brissett. Is this the last time I ever get to do this? Maybe. Like, is he coming back? They've got their two-way guys like Kendall Brown, who's out for the season with that uh, leg fracture, and Gabe York, who's a 30-year-old two-way player who they brought in at the end of the season as well. They don't really merit much of a mention here. The other one is O'Shea Brissett, who had some moments that people really enjoyed a couple of years ago, but I, I think he's uh, I don't think he's an NBA-caliber starter or even a high-level rotation guy. The other one is Daniel Tice, who I'm not going to talk about Daniel Tice at length in this show, but the fact that he came in, didn't play all season, um, came back from the knee injury and then started games over the young centers was absolutely bafflingly insane. And then they sat him down again. They've got a team option. There's absolutely no reason to pick up that team option unless they're including him in a trade. No reason for him to be there whatsoever. The 28 million in cap space is okay. I don't think they're going to be hyper-aggressive in getting free agency. Yeah, maybe you throw a few offer sheets on restricted guys and see what you can do. You try and find someone who can play as a four or even a three to get some depth. That, again, that's going to depend on what happens, though, in the draft. But I wouldn't expect them to be huge players. The draft is where things get in interesting. Three first-round picks they've got. So trading some of those picks is a possibility. They've got two seconds as well. They've got the seventh-best lottery odds. Much like when we talked yesterday about the Magic and what I should have talked about when we talked Blazers, the likelihood of them picking at seven is low. Their most likely spot is picking at eight. It's not as low than picking at seven, which is odds at 20% of picking at seven versus 36 at 8. It's not like talking about the Magic having a 9% chance at 6 or the Blazers having a 2% chance at 5. But the most likely spot is 8. The second most likely spot for the Pacers is 7. And in my mock draft ADP database, Taylor Hendricks would be pick 8. I really like Taylor Hendricks. We'll see what happens. But he would fit, I think, pretty perfectly like a forward size player. I think it would be an awesome fit um, on this team. Uh, that's... Yeah, you don't draft for fit, but the spot that they're probably going to be in the draft and the players who are likely going to be available in that spot, yeah, they make a ton of sense. Jarris Walker, Cam Whitmore, Taylor Hendricks, they're probably all going to be around where the paces are picking 
I think they all fit pretty bloody perfectly, to be honest. Yeah, they can move up and they can get pick two, pick one, and you still take Victor, who would be an awesome fit as well, obviously. Or you take Scoot or whatever in that situation. But you know, if you end up with Brandon Miller, if you end up with Jarris or Whitmore or Hendricks, I think it works out pretty well. At pick 26, um, that would be Colby Jones, according to Mock Draft ADP. Pick 29, Noah Clowney, Clowney super young forward as well. I like Noah Clowney a bit. And then the two picks in the second round, pick 15 and 55, it's Julian Phillips and Jordan Miller, who would be the, the options there, I guess, in that position. But, you know, lots can change in the second round of um, the NBA draft. Let's answer a question here from SmoothRT. Do I think Matherin should start at the two or the three next season instead of being a sixth man? Well, I sort of just touched on that already, talking about the value that he did bring in, in that limited sample size lineup. Part of the reason that he didn't start this season, let's be frank, is he wasn't as good as you think he was. We'll talk about him later, but he didn't start because he wasn't very good. He showed flashes. His ability to get to the rim as a young player was super important. He still played strong minutes. And yes, ideally you want him to start. I would expect that they would be planning for him to start next season. I think if he doesn't start next season, it is, it's not quite a red flag, but it's definitely orange. There's definitely something there. We go, oh, that's a little strange. He didn't start this season. They were trying to instill competitive behaviors and provide lineups. A lot of the time that made sense. They didn't always. Lots of criticisms of Carlisle for sure. But I don't think it's without any question that if you're just talking about how they performed, Nempard played better than Matherin all season. And Buddy Heald clearly did. So I don't really have a gigantic... I can't argue to say, well, Matherin deserved it this season. In terms of the future of this team, yes, I would have probably tried a little bit more. And I do think he will start next season. I don't think his future is as a sixth man. I think there is value in him as a starter. But that's going to depend on what uh, Richard Carla decides he's going to do. You guys love fantasy. That's why you're here. That's why we're talking fantasy. So I've got a game for you. It's Ultimate Pro Basketball GM. You take on the role of an NBA GM and you guide a franchise. And you make all of the moves that you love doing. Trades, free agency, hiring coaches, firing coaches, setting training. Everything that you would do as a GM, you do it here. Dealing with difficult personalities. Well, you can do that here as well. Making the right draft picks. Negotiating free agency contracts. It's all there in Ultimate Pro Basketball GM. Locked on Fantasy Basketball listeners get 100% free boost as well to their franchise when using the promo code Locked On in the game store. Make sure to check it out. Download the game. Visit probasketballgm.com. Scan the code that's on your screen or look it up on the app stores. That's probasketballgm.com. Ultimate Basketball GM is the game. Start your dynasty today. Today's episode is also brought to you by Ibotta. You're spending money. Why don't you get some money back for it? That's not their slogan, but it should be. You've got groceries, school shopping, getting a little something for yourself. You know you're doing it. So why don't you just get that cash back? And that's as simple to do with Ibotta. You earn cash back on every shopping trip. Ibotta gives you the cash back on hundreds of grocery items, produce, personal care, pantry care. You just link your loyalty account on Ibotta or upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back. It is that easy. It gives you real cash back, not points. Other apps will give you points that don't really amount to anything. With Ibotta, you get real cash back, and you can cash it out to your bank account, to your PayPal, or in the form of gift cards. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners five bucks just for trying Ibotta by using the code LOCKED when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use the code LOCKED. That's Ibotta, I-B-O-T-T-A, in the Google Play or the App Store, and use the code LOCKED. That will take us onto the players. And let's talk Tyrese Halliburton. A very, very interesting fantasy player this season, Halliburton, no doubt. He ended up as the 10th ranked player in category leagues, 26th in totals. His points rank was 18th. I think we sort of nailed this in the offseason. I had him 
in that nine or 10 to 12 range. I had him lower in points league as not a first round guy. And that all played out. Early on in draft season, he was getting, his ranking was like in the 30s and it made no sense. Now we had people who were super high on him. You all know Zach Anshu, who was on this show and was really, really big on Halliburton, drafted him every draft. He drafted him pick two in a draft, right? He's high, super high on what Halliburton brings. I wasn't quite that high, but I was very staunch in him being a first round player. And he was. Yes, the total numbers dropped down to 26 and 46 in points leagues because of the games that he missed towards the end of the season. But basically, he was bang on what we thought he would do. And if you were able to draft him, like his ADP ended up 14 because you know, me and well, not me, Zach and or everyone, so many fantasy people banged on and banged on and banged on versus the sites that do the rankings. I don't know where they do it from. And that brought the ADP in because again, initially he was ranked 30s, 40s, and we just said, this is stupid. So it kept getting drafted, kept getting drafted. Eventually they brought the ranking in and we're at the right spot. Will he be the same player as we move forward? Let's have a look. He is 23, so he's not insanely young. It's still not old, but he's not insanely young. 56 games, 34 minutes, 24 usage. I think my only concern was, does he? how does his usage look? And it did jump up. That's not elite usage. That's not, I can see you pushing top five usage. That's where the next step needs to be. And I'm not sure that he's ever going to be that guy as a 28 usage player. Like if Scoot comes, if Brandon Miller comes, yeah, an next step for Mathurin, that might keep Halliburton around this area. So while I am very big on what Halliburton could do, I think he is a huge driver of winning. And I think he's going to take this team far. I'm In terms of fantasy, we're averaged 21 points, three threes, four rebounds, 10 assists, 1.6 steals. Not sure what improves there. Are we smart to expect more than 10 assists? More than 1.6 steals? I don't think so. Are we smart to expect more than 21 points? That's that's the swing here for me for Halliburton. Because everything else, four rebounds, 10.5 assists, 1.6 steals. You can't expect more. 87 from the line, 40% from three. You can't expect more. 49 from the field. You actually can't expect more. I don't think. I think it's unreasonable to expect him to do more in those areas. What you want is a 28 usage guy while maintaining everything else, turning to a 25 point scorer, which makes him a top five fantasy player. And that is where I go, "Mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But there is tons of value in this guy. He can keep doing this level of production Maybe maybe the usage drops to 23, to 22, depending who comes in. That's possible. But he can keep doing this for seven, six, seven years, which in dynasty leagues is unbelievably valuable. His advanced metrics are through the roof. 97th percentile EPM. 94th in estimated wins, despite playing only 56 games. 10.5 estimated wins. Darko, 54th in the NBA. LeBron, 87th percentile. And look at that Darko graph. You got those first two seasons in Sacramento, and then... Just a huge, huge boost. Put into a large role, year three, blew up. And I expect him to be really strong moving forward. No reason to expect it to drop. No, Again, the, the risk there is how does it improve, but no reason to expect it to drop. Look at his graph there for fantasy points. You can see how great it all was early in the year. And then there was a legitimate injury in the middle here. Came back, had an injury, which you might consider somewhat legitimate, I don't know. And then the end of the season was all fake. So... You don't worry too much about the games played. The ankle was 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 annoying for sure, but if this team wasn't trying to get themselves a good pick in the draft, he would have played instead of 56. He would have played 65, 66 games probably, played through and been really strong towards the end of the season. No real concerns with that at all. His EPM graph is really strong. You see that a little bit of a drop there in his EPM average in the middle when he got hurt, but came back strong and just did the same thing again. He is awesome. He is a perennial all-star. He will be an all-NBA candidate for many years. He will be a first-round fantasy player for many years. Does it become top three, top four? That's 
that's my worry is because it's got to be usage scale. That's it has to be that. It has to be usage scaling. It has to go twenty four to twenty eight, and I and I'm just not sure about that. That would give me a level of pause. Let's talk about Miles Turner, who was great, yet still somehow I think there's more. And I know that sounds crazy, but I think there's more. 29th in category leagues, 44th um, in totals, 30th in minus one rank, 15th in points leagues. He's always going to be worse in points leagues. He is heavily dependent, or he has been in the past. He's had these rankings before, but they have been heavily dependent on like 3.4 blocks. And you know what I always say, but if you are the number one player in an outlier low volume category, just be aware that you can go from the best player to still a very good player and lose 20 spots of ranking value. But what Turner was able to do, only 2.3 blocks, and he had stretches where he was struggling to block shots, but he did more in other areas. He played 62 games. And the reason I say I think he can do more is he only played 29 minutes. 29 and a half minutes a game with 22 usage. Honestly, this team, if they are going to get to the playoffs next season, he needs to lock in at 33 a night. And, I, and I, that's possible. So I do think there is an extra layer on this. 18 points, seven and a half boards, one and a half threes, 2.3 blocks. He's a he's a blocks guy. He had 55% shooting, which is great. 78 from the line from big man's great. Seven and a half rebounds is well above average. 18 points is above average. Really good. The thing to me there is minutes for him. Get to 32, 33. We've heard a million stories about Miles Turner trades. They have never happened quite clearly. And part of the reason, I wasn't super skeptical of Turner in terms of fantasy value. He had an ADP of 40, and I was pretty interested in grabbing him around that spot because I was like, if he gets traded, it's going to be the same role. Like, he's going to play 28 minutes. He's going to block shots. He's going to do what he does. I don't really think there's any concern with that. I wasn't massively worried about the injuries from last season. He did have those problems, and of course, he had the fake injury at the end of the season, but he was healthy all year. My thing now is, look, will he end up being traded after signing that extension? I don't think he can be traded straight away. Like, I think there's, uh, I don't think he'd be traded in the offseason. Oh, actually, no, he can, can't he? That's right. The way they signed that contract, he can be traded. Sorry, my bad. I don't think they will, but it's still always going to be on the table because he does he fit the timeline? That I guess that's the question. But what is the timeline? The timeline here will depend on what happens in the draft. They end up at pick eight or pick nine then that player that comes in doesn't really change things. They get 19-year-old Scoot or 19-year-old Wemby, then that's eight years difference between Turner and those guys, where it's four years between Halliburton and those players. So then you skew, I think, towards Halliburton and the top two pick versus the Halliburton and Turner combination now. And you've got Matherin to add to that younger part. So that is, and you've got potential replacements behind him. So that's a little bit of a worry. But I still think that Turner, who's only 27, has got at least two to three years, irrespective of the team that he's on, of being this this player. Impactful, advanced numbers right across the board. EPM, estimated wins, Darko, LeBron. His Darko number has been pretty consistent, apart from a weird spike in 21-22 where he went really high and then he dropped off, but just a constant positive for years and years and years. His fantasy points rank, his numbers were pretty strong, and you can see the fake injuries towards the end of the season ended up you know skewing some of his stuff, but... I think just think he was good. And his EPM fell away towards a little bit towards the end of the season when they were without Halliburton there as well, which did impact him. But again, he was just an impactful player. He's a good player who fits on almost any NBA team who still has a little bit more to give fantasy-wise, giving two to three extra minutes. Where that is, I don't know. And he's always, I feel, going to be because of yeah the value he brings 
in my mind, the value he brings, plus the age difference between him, Halliburton and Matherum, and maybe top three pick, that might skew things a little bit with him. We'll go on to those next ones in a second because that's what we're going to do. But before I do that, today's episode is brought to you by the Game Time app. Playoffs are on. You want tickets? Get them. Game Time gets it. You want go to comedy? Game Time has got comedy tickets. Whatever tickets you need, Game Time is the app. It's a fast and easy way to buy tickets for your sports, for your music, for your comedy, for theater near you. Killer deals on last minute tickets, best price guarantee. Stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you will have. You get exclusive flash deal on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, more. And the Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Get images of your seat before you buy. You know exactly where you're going to, you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. The tickets come in a matter of seconds and they just get sent to your phone. You don't have to dig through your emails to find those tickets. So download the Game Time app, create an account, use the code LockedOnNBA for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code LockedOnNBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. The Nissan Most Electric Player of the Week, we'll just give it to Tyrese Halliburton because we're talking Indiana Pacers and he was great. Unbelievable skill, power, effortless intelligence, exactly like the all-new all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. Halliburton gave a breath of fresh air to this Pacers franchise, and I think he's going to do that for many years in the future. And if you get yourself a Nissan Aria, well, that's something that you can look forward in the future as well. Powerful, elegant, intelligent, a great combination of fierceness and elegance. The 2023 Nissan Aria packs Spindiose power and premium intelligence all in one EV. The all-new all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the EV for people who love to drive. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. It's got a Budrick healed as Obi comes back into the room. Um, Buddy Hield's 30. Hmm, okay. 65th ranked player this season. Probably better than we expected. ADP was 82. 35th in totals because he just played through everything. 70th in minus one. But the big difference between him in category leagues and points, 65 versus 96. So why was he so good in category leagues? Well, I'll tell you why. He hit three and a half threes a game. He went 82% from the line. Nothing else really stands out. 80 games, 31 minutes, 21 usage, 17 points, 3.6 dribbles, 5 rebounds, 2.8 assists, 1.2 steals. Solid steals, but great free throws. But more importantly, tons of threes. And that does skew his number up a little bit. You have... There's no way in the world that I would draft Buddy Heald or value him in Dynasty anywhere near that 65 rank. And I know that if you look at his 9-cat value, including turnovers, people will say, well, Buddy, he was actually a top 40 player uh, last season, which, again, I think is an insanely silly way to try and value where Heald sits moving forward. He was 48th per game in 9-cat last season and 26th in total value. Tells us absolutely nothing. There's no... I don't think there's any value in that as any sort of ranking system or telling us what Heald brings. Because honestly, below average in points, but barely above average in rebounds, below average in assists, average steals, below average blocks, great threes, below average field goals, above average free throws. Like it's not great. This is not a top 30 player. It just isn't. So just be really cautious of looking at those numbers. And often when you go to Yahoo, that's what it defaults. 9 cat value, including turnovers, total value. And it will tell you that he is 26 or whatever for the season. Which again, they'll probably use that to base some of their early season default rankings off and it will be wrong. 
Was he solid for this team? Yeah. He's 30, though. 1.7 EPM, 7.8 estimated win, strong in Darko, strong in LeBron, all, all really good. He's a super valuable player. 43% shooting from three. Really valuable. Defensively, he was better. He's still not great. He showed a little bit more ball handling. He has been strong. But what, what do we make of this? Like his Darko graph is pretty solid. Like he's okay. But when we're talking future value for Heald, he started at the three all season, apart from the end, which when we look at his fantasy points graph, you'll see things tailing off as they started to reduce his minutes and play him 20 minutes a night to keep his games played uh, number as high as possible because it's something that he really cares about. So they just played him like in 20, 20 minutes a night and reduced it, which I guess hurt some of his numbers overall. But when we talk about future value or expectation, is he the guy that starts next to Matherin or do they want Nempard and Matherin to start together? Or if Whitmore or Brandon Miller, and they come in, like, do they play at the three over Heald? I just think that the likelihood of Heald having a season like this again, where he plays 80 games, 31 minutes, and he's a top 70 player, it's just really, really low, really low expectation, especially again when all your value is threes. He might still hit three and a half threes a game, but it might be on 14 points, and it might be with four rebounds, and it might be with two assists. And the 42 might become 41, and, the, and he never gets the line. All this stuff might fall off. And 31 minutes becomes 26 minutes. And then he's more of a streamer for threes. I just don't have huge overall expectations for Heald. Really strong season. Good value if you picked him at 82. You loved it. But, yeah, I just think that we are... He's not a guy where you look at and go, well, here, we're set now. Like, Buddy's our, our three. That makes a ton of sense for us. I think they'll always be looking to upgrade as they should. He was great though. Again, impactful. Look at the estimated plus minus. Look at the graph. Really strong all season. But it's about where this team moves in the future. Could another team like him? Sure. Would they give him this amount of playing time? Yeah, probably not. That's the problem. Let's go to Timothy John. Timothy John McConnell, who was, it was a weird season. 135th ranked player, 101st in totals, 171st in points leagues. ADP of 142, drafted apparently in 5% of leagues, which I don't really get. He's 31, TJ McConnell. And early in the season, they just didn't really play him. They were like, we're going with Halliburton and we're going to use Nembhard a lot more. Um, there's Chris Duarte in that mix. And they were like pushing away to try and develop the young guys. And then Duarte got hurt, of course. And then Halliburton got hurt and McConnell's numbers went through the roof. He's still like serviceable enough, but there are so many restrictions in what McConnell brings. He played 75 games, 20 minutes, 19 usage. So many of these numbers, though, are skewed by what happened when Halliburton went out. Nine points, three rebounds, five assists, 1.1 steals in 20 minutes. They're all really good numbers. And no one's debating that he gets assists and gets steals. He's shot the ball unbelievably, 54% and 44% on threes. Of course, that's on no attempts. He just didn't take it. Would he take like 1.3 threes a game? Or 1.3, not even 1.3. He took like 0.7 threes a game. No attempts at all. So that's a little skewed. And is next season the season where they, you know, if they got Matherin or another guard in there, is McConnell's time as a useful backup or as a guy that we add in, we stream in as the replacement starter when someone's gone? Is that going to come to an end? I'm not sure. You can see how little they played him. Red line is the minutes. Like, didn't play very much early in the season. Had a couple of interesting games. Went bananas in the middle when Halliburton was out. 
drop way back off, and then big minutes towards the end of the season when Halliburton was out. That's what really brought all of this up. That's what made him a top 140 player. That's what made him 101st in category leagues for totals. It's not a real number. It's not anything that we look at moving forward. He's 31. Again, probably older than you think. They've got options, Halliburton, Nembhard, maybe a draft pick, Matherin, maybe Duarte. Could he find his spot on another team? Sure. I have very little faith in where McConnell sits as a any sort of fantasy asset moving forward. I wouldn't value him in Dynasty. He was great when you're given that opportunity, but it did require just Halliburton to be out. That, that was it. That's what it required. The next player is a tough one to gauge, and that's Andrew Nembhard, who <clears throat> we're always going to... When I tell you, when I say the name Andrew Nembhard, what you're going to say? Warriors, game winner. All right, that's what you're going to remember. Every, especially, maybe not people listen to this, but casuals, casual non-fantasy playing NBA fans, non-pacer fans, when you say Andrew Nembhard, yeah, man, took over. Destroyed the Warriors, game winner. True, true. But then what happened? 179th in category leagues, despite playing 28 minutes a night. 180th in points leagues. Wasn't, wasn't drafted in any preseason drafts, I don't think. He had a 3% draft rate. He's 23. Now, I hated this pick at the top of the second round. I said, there's no real upside in this pick. He was a guy in college that had some not great shooting numbers. And then he came out for the first 10 games and shot like 45% from three. I went, okay, I look, I look pretty stupid. But then it all tailed off. 75 games, 28 minutes, 16 usage, nine points, one three, four and a half assists, 0.9 steals. 44%, 35 from three, which after that hot start dipped way off, 79 from the line. Like totally solid numbers. Definitely outperformed his draft position. But when you're drafting someone at age 22, you hope that they can... You, part of the appeal, I guess, in a lot of those cases, they are NBA ready. And he guess he was, he was NBA ready. He played a lot more than I thought he would. But I'm not really sure what we do here. The impact metrics aren't great. Darko hates him. 451st in Darko. LeBron, 5th percentile compared to starters. EPM's not too bad. But look at that Darko graph. Like, it started out okay, and then things, yeah, the trend line going down, not a great sign for a rookie. Did really struggle. His fantasy points graph, he was okay. Stepped up again towards the end when other players went out. Is he a future starter? I don't think any team would look at this and say, yes. Could he develop into a starter? Maybe. But, yeah, he was strong enough. He was good enough. But I think, ideally, he is your Halliburton backup who can play some minutes next to each other. And I think, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm just using some of my draft priors on him, that a best-case career for him is Tyus Jones, a guy that's an elite backup, but probably never want to pay him as a starter. Him next to Halliburton, I'm not certain of that as a combination. And I think that we might look at this and go, well, he's a rookie. He's going to step forward next season. We're going to talk about, a lot later in the show, Someone whom you might have had that thought about on this team last season, and it didn't really work out. And I don't think the drop-off for Nempard will be quite as severe as what it was for Chris Duarte. I wouldn't rule that out. I wasn't 100% convinced. Again, when you look at what happened November, December, you have a picture of what he did, and then and you can see that spike on that graph, and then it all sort of just hovered around, and, and he struggled quite a bit, I think. And again, that is reflected in the EPM graph. Big impact there early on. Big impact. That was with no Halliburton and no um, McConnell also. And then faded away. And I'm not I'm not convinced of him long term. 
Would you say Benedict Matherin had a good rookie season? Um, a lot of people were talking about him as the front runner or at least the second spot in rookie of the year for a long period of time. The numbers, I don't really think back that up. And obviously the rookie of the year award came out today and he didn't finish top three, rightfully so. For fantasy, he was rostered way too much for way too long and he was just bad most of the season. 190th in category leagues, 200th in a minus one rank, 141st in points leagues. And a lot of times rookies who get big volume are points league guys and not category league guys. He wasn't even that. He was drafted at pick 136, which is absolutely no problem to do that. But he's one of those player archetypes that, I talked about this in the preseason, that straight shooting guard players, the likelihood of those guys as top 100 rookies is insanely low. And I think the only one who did it over the last 10 years was Donovan Mitchell. And he did that on the back of playing a lot of point guard and also getting high steals. But these straight shooting guard players, it's really hard for them to be top 100 guys as rookies. And Mather improved that point again. I'm not out on him as a player. Like maintaining a 25 usage as a rookie, 29 minutes, averaging 17 points, it's not that easy to do. My problem with him as a rookie, as a college player, as a future prospect is what else do you do? And for a guy that was as celebrated as he was, he hit 1.33s a game on 32%. He couldn't hit him. He got to the line a ton. That is a huge skill. And that is a massive indicator for future value. That's important. But one and a half assists, 0.6 deals, 0.2 blocks. If you're a guard and you're getting no assists and no steals, you've got no fantasy future. Getting to the line is important, but you can't hit threes, you can't get assists, you can't get steals. Where do you go? You need to average 25, 26 points per game, and he can maybe do that. And I can't, I'm not precluding that he's going to be able to get assists or steals, but this is what the stuff from Arizona showed us. This is what happened this season, and it all sort of played out. So I don't really know what to make of it. I talked earlier, yes, I think you should start. See what happens. Good. That lineup was great with him in it. He's got the size. But we also saw this season some really troubling things. The advanced stuff doesn't like him at all. Bad LeBron. Terrible Darko. Negative EPM, 38th percentile. And look at that Darko graph where he had that nice little spike earlier and then he just dropped way off. And he's, uh, all of the algorithm started to really dislike him even in terms of future value, which is somewhat of a concern. The fantasy point stuff, it's all okay. It's not groundbreaking. He was very inconsistent. As you can see, that blue line go up, or up and down. I'm not writing him off. He will be draftable next season. I've got no, no problem with that at all. But to get to upper echelons, and also I want people to remember, is that the draft class last season, in my opinion, was significantly weaker than the year before and significantly weaker than this year coming up. So pick six, where Matherin was, he was pick six or pick seven? Pick six, I think he was, in that draft is probably the equivalent of pick 10 in this draft or pick 10 the year before. And we don't put as much faith in a pick 10 or pick 11 player than we do versus per pick six. Just, I, I think there is discrepancies, not discrepancies, there are issues in his game in that respect. He was also a little bit older as a rookie. He's already 21, came out as a sophomore. So... I'm not totally shitting on, on what he can do, but I don't think that it's absolute future top 30 stardom upside here. The EPM graph again started off well and then teams sort of focused on him and went, all right, you scored all right, let's see what happens. And then he 
He didn't melt, but he really, really struggled as the season went on from there and teams focused on him more and he couldn't break through it. He will learn. He will get better. There are positive indicators. There are also some negative indicators in terms of three-volume assist steals. Like, where are they? Free throw and scoring and usage, all very strong. The other stuff, big negatives. It's getting the balance between those two things that's going to be important. Aaron Neesmith is or was one of the NBA's worst players in Boston. He came across in the Malcolm Brogdon deal. I didn't really expect him to play. I view him as a shooting guard, small forward. I didn't like the draft pick at the time. It was based on 11 games of action as a 50% three-point shooter at Florida State, which was completely false. Like he just wasn't that level of shooter and he has never been that level of shooter. And then he got a role as a starting power forward on this team. All right, makes no sense, but okay. But he was one of the most inconsistent players all season. Sometimes it may be good, sometimes it may be shit. Now, to be fair, he improved significantly from where he was in Boston. 196th in category leagues, 210 in points leagues, not drafted, of course. He's still only 23 as like a fourth-year player coming up. 25 minutes, 17 usage, 10 points, 1.63s. I think the issue, like one point, can try that to Matherin. He hit more threes than Matherin on a 17% usage, 10 points a game. 0.8 steals, 84 from the line, 37 from three, 43 overall. The nice free throw shooting, good three-point shooting. But we'll see it when we look at the fantasy points graph for the ups and downs and what he did. Absolutely not do you look at him and go, well, we've got a starter. Yeah, no chance. The advanced stuff is pretty rough. Eighth percentile LeBron, 302nd Darko. Look, that's a big improvement because he was horrendous. Look, minus three Darko as a rookie. Stepped it up a little bit last year and was better. But he's still not at a zero. He's still a negative player. And it just, yeah, I th- when we look at a lot of players, like 25 minutes a night for him this season, is this the best year he ever has? We wouldn't rule that out. I think there is a distinct possibility that that's the case. Look at his fantasy points graph. Look at that blue line. Look at the wild up and downs. He'd go one of nine, and then he'd go seven of eight. And... He'd have four steals and he'd have zero rebounds. It was just all over the place. And you couldn't rely upon anything for him. Yeah, he started most games, but it didn't actually matter. The production was so wildly inconsistent. And even when we go to look at this EPM graph, you can see on the EPM graph, I haven't mentioned this before, but there's those little gray dots. That's his individual single game EPM, which is not a reliable stat, but it is interesting. But you can see like it's huge positive, negative, huge positive, big negative, big negative, big negative, zero, big positive. Like it's all over the shop. There was no reliability. And yes, it's his first real crack at staying healthy and producing um, or being a consistent player or being a consistent in a consistent role. Still didn't do enough for me to get excited about it, though. Let's talk about this bloke. Ah, Smitty. Forever going to be annoyed about him and it is going to teach me fantasy lessons and it might make me overcorrect because I hate him as a player. I think he was a bad pick at number 10 from the Suns when he was drafted. He looked worse when he was there. It made no sense to me that they announced him as their starting power forward the Pacers last season and gave him that contract. Why are you tying yourself to this guy? What are you seeing here with this player that makes you think that he's a good player? But I looked at the fantasy skill set as Obi. Now, do you want to come up? Um, I looked at the player and went, oh, you're a big man who can hit free throws and have a good field goal percentage and hit threes and rebound and block shots. That's absolute fantasy gold. And even if you play 28 minutes as a starter, that's unbelievable. I'm all about this. And he was getting ranked like 260 in situations on Yahoo early in the season. And I went, all right, Ripper, let's go for that. Love this role for him. Who are the other power forwards on this team? Not in a million years where I say, we you know who their power forwards are going to be. Um, Boston Celtics reject shooting guard, Aaron Neesmith. 
Never entered my calculations for a single second. It was like, oh, there's Jalen Smith and there's O'Shea Brissett. And I think both players are bad, but they've told me that Smith is starting, so let's go. And it blew up. He, his ADP ended up coming into 115. I was drafting him in like the 80s or 90s, and it was dreadful. He was bad. 203rd in category leagues. 192nd in points leagues. He played 68 games, but only 19 minutes as the presumed starting power forward. 21 usage, 9 points, 6 rebounds, 0.9 blocks. Well, 0.9 blocks in 19 minutes is fine. But he was so bad that they benched him for a guard. He shot 28% from three. He was only 76 from the line, 48 from the field. We were expecting 51, 33, 78. I was expecting 12, 13, 14 points, 7 rebounds, 1.7 blocks. Wasn't good enough. Got cooked. Was worse when he played as a center. But by the end of the season, they turned him into basically a backup center. And they were rotating him and Isaiah Jackson through. The advanced stuff, LeBron's not too sour on him, but Darko is. You can see on that graph how bad he was in Phoenix. Had some moments in year two, and when he got to Indiana, really stepped up, and then never really improved from there, and it did fade away. And as you can see on the fantasy points graph, he got benched. He got taken out of the rotation. Look at all those gaps there. Not all that's injury. That's just out of the rotation stuff. Some okay moments, for sure, but there were so many games where he just couldn't shoot, or he couldn't stay on the court with minutes, and he would just get cooked defensively. And back to what I'm talking about, learning lessons is that I hated this guy as a player. Nothing personal. I don't know the bloke, right? I hated him as a player. So I don't really think this guy's good. I think he's a bad defender and a bad offensive player. Why are you starting him? Why are you guaranteeing him these minutes? But then I said, well, they're doing it. So, all right, let's buy in. Good fantasy skill set. But in the end, the bad player part of it won out. And my problem that might skew my analysis, and I think you have to use this analysis a little bit as well, is that, if that gets to another situation where it's a player where I go, I think this player is actually bad, but he's got a huge role. Do I just believe that he's bad and then fade it that way? But what if he actually gets the role and stays with it all season and produces the good fantasy numbers? Some might call it the Tony Roten parable. That's possible too. So maybe I overcorrect the other way. But I am going to give a little bit more credence to my, is this guy a good enough player to lock down a starting role? And if the answer is no, then I'm going to be, let's let's back off that a little bit. Just even how the projections pan out with the information we get from the team. Interesting to see how that plays out. Again, he was just fine early in the season and then had a real dip and, and really struggled and bounced back a little bit in his EPM towards the end. But I just don't. He's definitely not the answer. Is the answer is their backup center? I don't know. I think it's this guy. But he was handled horribly, Isaiah Jackson, this season, I thought. Even at the start of the year, remember when Miles Turner sprained his ankle first game in the warm-ups? And they would go to Terry Taylor instead of uh, instead of Isaiah Jackson. And they'd go to Daniel Tice later on in the season instead of Isaiah Jackson. Jackson played 16 minutes a game. And Turner missed. And the games that he played big, he was pretty good. Now, now Obi's officially coming up. 216th in category leagues. I was okay drafting him outside the top 100. 100 Jackson, because at the time of the draft, there were so many rumors about Miles Turner getting traded that even if Isaiah Jackson wasn't a 30-minute-a-night starter, he'd probably get 24 a night, and that is absolutely a top 110, top 100 player. And you can see that. His ADP is 123, but it just never happened. Outside the top 200 in categories and points leagues, he never played. 16 minutes, 63 games. He's 21. He still blocked one and a half shots in 16 minutes. You're a 32-minute starting center. That's three blocks. That's out of this world. Now, that doesn't translate quite that well because he's not going to play 32 minutes a night. He probably wouldn't maintain three blocks. But this is a 2.1, 2.2 blocks potential player. He averaged seven and four. 
Double that, 14 and 9. Cut it down a bit, 12 and 7 and a half with two blocks. It's a top 100 player really easily. 56 from the field, 14 from three is a little worrying. 65 from the line is a little worrying as well. The advanced stuff doesn't love him. Negative two on Darko. Negative one on, oh, sorry, negative one on Darko, negative two on EPM. And he had a nice little run. If you look at the Darko graph, like real big spike there and then just sort of faded away. But I think a lot of that with him is he, unlike Jalen Smith, he wasn't gifted an opportunity. He had to work for the opportunity. Even when he played well, it was taken away from him. So there are a couple of things to view from that. I still believe Isaiah Jackson could be a really good starting center, but my faith in that team believing that makes me really skeptical about him unless we're talking longer term in dynasty, give it three, two, three years to him to develop into a good player. But the fact that he can't push through early on means that I think that his peak run is going to be shorter and he might be able to be a top 70 guy from age 24 to 27. That's a possibility too. And I think that's sort of where my analysis changes on him. Because it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. Do you think he's good? It doesn't matter. Because if the team that he's on doesn't think he's good, then we are losing development time and losing fantasy production time. And yes, Miles Turner still could get traded in the offseason and Isaiah Jackson is the starting center. They might go with Jalen Smith. And I would be all in on drafting him late. My worry is they are not valuing. And he had some ridiculously dumb moments as well this season. He, he wasn't awesome. He was okay though. But I just think again, when we're, what are we trying to do with this team? You're trying to like straddle, like, are we trying to be competitive? Are we trying to build for the future? And they could never figure it out. And I think that hurt where Jackson ended up. Look at all those gaps in his fantasy points graph. Like they're just games that he didn't play because he was just in and out of the rotation. And it was very frustrating. That's what all those blue dots on this EPM graph show as well. Just out of the rotation, not playing. Again, solid impact player. Didn't play. Jordan Wara came across in what trade was I think the Jay Crowder trade. He ended up coming over from the Bucks. He barely played in Milwaukee. He's 276th in category leagues. He's almost he's going to be 25 at some point early next season. 62 games, 19 minutes, 20% usage, eight points. He hit one and a half threes at 41%, but that's what he is. He's a shooter. He's also bigger and a better rebounder than you think. And I thought towards the end of the season, he outplayed Aaron Neesmith quite a bit and showed enough to be maybe somewhat of a rotation player. He was a really late signing by the Bucs as a restricted free agent. Um, they didn't value him particularly high. They didn't play him very much. I Look, his advanced numbers are skewed by what happened in Milwaukee. Like, you know, second percentile LeBron, 482 Darko, EPM 28th percentile. Like, no, they're not good numbers. Um, but as you see on that Darko graph, like things were looking trending downwards. Got to Indiana, got into a little bit of a different role, and we got a bit of a spike, and the, the trend line's moving up. I don't think there's any future in him as a top 100 player, but we saw towards the end when he was given an opportunity to start, he was useful enough for fantasy. Don't Again, don't really think that that's any sort of harbinger moving forward. And again, it's like playing a small forward as power forward, but he was a good rebounder. And I thought he did, he's not a good defender, he's a bad defender, but I thought he did okay at times. And you can see the Bucks portion of the season there where not much is going on for him. And then later on in the year where he got to Indiana, minutes went up, production went up. If you look at the APM graph as well, pretty rough in Milwaukee, better in Indiana. But again, this is not a guy that I think we should be you know, super excited about. Um, last player we're going to talk about is how far we had to get down to talk about this guy. It is Chris Duarte. Now, in basically all of my mock drafts last season, when we got to like pick or round 11 or round 12, I was looking for a player who I thought would play a decent role 
It was very hard to get steals in that part of the draft. And this guy projected as a guy that would get a lot of steals. So I said, let's take a flyer on Chris Duarte. And, I, and much like Jalen Smith, I was at pains to say, I hate the fact that the Pacers picked Chris Duarte where they did. I think he's entirely overrated as a player. But I do believe they're going to give him a sizable role here because I didn't expect second round rookie Andrew Nembhard to come in and play 28 minutes. I thought that those 28 minutes would be Chris Duarte's 28 minutes. But they were not. He was 332nd. He was an ADP of 139. Again, that's last round, second last round. Who cares? 290th in points leagues. Spoke's 26 already after two years. This is why people will say, well, don't worry about age. Just worry if they can play. Nonsense. I think that's absolute nonsense to, to have picked him in the lottery. Yes, pick 13. Was it pick 13 or pick 15? Don't know. Anyway, nonsense to pick him where he was picked um, at this age when he's not even that good. And while I, again, I didn't like him as a player, but I thought his profile was good enough and I expected him to play minutes and he just didn't. 20 minutes a game, 19% usage, 8 points, 32% shooting. This is what he's supposed to be, a shooter. Didn't happen. Half a steal, thought he could do 1.2. Nowhere near it. Just nothing good. Ankle injuries cost him a lot. He was out a bunch of time. We'll look at that in a second. But the advanced stuff is bad as well. Like nothing stands out good there at all. So they were right not to play him. And Nempart is clearly ahead of him. Matherman's ahead of him. McConnell's ahead of him. Halliburton's ahead of him. Might get another guard wing ahead of him in the draft. Uh, my outlook for him is 26. My outlook for him is not good at all. And the fact that on this team, you couldn't establish a role um, when you start needing to do that now is, I think it's pretty dire moving forward. He could easily bounce back. And the, we'll look at the, the games he'd miss. Like all that time here with ankle injuries was a real concern. And then you have fake ankle injuries at the end of the season. But ankle injuries here, it, it cost him a lot. But you don't have, in a dynasty league, you don't have leeway at all. You're four years away from his peak being over. He's 30 in four years. And you don't have that development time. There's there's nothing there. I yeah, I'm pretty out on Duarte as a player. Pretty out on him as a prospect. Um, much more out on him than I was at the start of the season, where I thought they would give him strong minutes. Again, not liking him as a player, but I thought they would give him minutes. But the fact that they didn't do that and gave it to Nempard and Matherin over him is, I think, a pretty sizable red flag. Look at that EPM graph. You can see all those blue dots of missed games there. Um, and then sort of struggle to do what he needed to do. Really, really disappointing second season. Not precluding him getting better, but the time to do that is it's it's pretty much past at age 26, I think. That'll do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. Enjoy the playoffs. Can't wait for those games tomorrow. By the time you listen to this, we you know, um or the, the, uh, I can't even think what games they are. Anyway, after those awesome games, Heat, Bucks, and great, uh, Lakers, Grizzlies yesterday, going to get some really strong games coming up in the next couple of days. Excited to watch them. Follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up. Leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.